Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the movers and shakers of a growing tech sector in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grow With Us is a podcast that highlights the work of In Tulsa and informs you about the exciting and innovative work being done around the city by its best and brightest. In Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. This week, we are in conversation with Tracy Spears, the founder of Exceptional Leaders Lab, in Tulsa. Welcome, Tracy. It's so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Evan. I love that tee up, just all the great work your organization is doing. So it's, it was fun to hear a recap of that. Yeah, we, I mean, I feel like those are, those are my words and I've been kind of saying them over the past six months and kind of as we've been working on the, this podcast and the more, the more, whenever I start an episode with kind of really framing it in that way, I get like really excited for the episode and kind of it's, I don't know, it just tees me up just as much as it does you, which is good. <laughs> Maybe I'll start reading that before all of my, uh, you know, gigs I do. <laughs> hey, you never yeah. know. I'm, I'm down to share my wealth of knowledge. <laughs> um, Tracy, go ahead and give us um, a quick introduction of you and, and tell us your story in whatever way you feel comfortable. Wow, that's a that's a big question. In whatever way I feel comfortable, so I'll give you the non three hour answer. Uh, <laughs> that's a big question. Preferably, <laughs> I, a little bit about me: born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, grew up uh, in the you know Mingo Valley trailer park over on the, the Mingo Valley traffic circle, and uh, pretty early on figured out that my kind of way to get to get an education was through athletics, and so was fortunate enough to land at the University of Oklahoma on a softball scholarship. And so that was uh, quite a thrill. And then, you know, after that entered the business world, was an entrepreneur for, you know, I I would say probably have always been an entrepreneur, chosen organization that I worked with in corporate America, where I was a full commission salesperson for 20 years plus, Uh, at some point moved into management. And in that I was bonused on the performance of the team. And so I went from being a single kind of producer to how can I rally the troops and get the team to produce? Because that's where the upside was for me. And so that's, that was you know, really the beginning of uh, me understanding how important you know, high-performing teams were, though I had that experience in college and, and on all the softball teams I was in, I got to really get a little bit deeper into that. And then that leads to a couple of books with my business partner, Wally Schmader, who is the co-founder of Exceptional Leaders Lab. We formed that company about seven years ago, stepped out of corporate America. There's a big story there, but I'll just spare you that. And in <laughs> Exceptional Leaders Lab. So that's kind of the, the very short trip to how I'm sitting here in front of you. So it's been, been a fun journey. That's amazing. I, I mean, I love how you mentioned that 
or at least the, your softball journey. Um, I mean, that's the biggest softball school in the nation. So that's amazing. Well, I'm going to tell you, as I always say, you know, when I was there, we brought the win-loss record down. So I was there before all, uh, I mean, what they're doing now is so amazing. And I get to bask in the fact that I was there. Uh, I was ahead of the Patty Yasso era, and I'm super sad um, that I didn't experience some of that, you know, Patty Yasso magic, but I had a really great experience uh, when I was there. But yeah, it's fun to watch them. Oh my gosh. Softball is like the thing as like a 24 year old, like a sports averted person, I will turn on softball. It's so oh, fun to watch. That makes me so happy. <laughs> I love knowing that. Just cause like, I, I think that I, so I played baseball like a lot of my life and I, I truly think that there's a pacing difference between baseball and softball. Softball is the pace that I enjoy, especially as a viewer. Baseball is a lot slower. <laughs> I know a lot of people that agree with me. <laughs> you know, they're trying to speed up the game of baseball. Uh, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I'm with you. It's it, it's like playing golf. I love to play. If I could do it in like 45 minutes, it would be so yeah. much better. <laughs> yeah, not a four-hour engagement. <laughs> but that's so awesome, Tracy. I, I Thank you so much for sharing that story and kind of, I, I know that we're going to dive into sections of that story too, because I think they inform a lot of the work that you do um, at Ex- Exceptional Leaders Lab and also in your work with your clients. And um, But I really think that kind of going back to the sports thing a little bit, but like, I think that sports are really the first kind of testing ground for team dynamics. Obviously, sports are often team centered, but um, I think it really plays a lot into the success of an organization um, as 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 you run it as a team. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of this stuff with you. Um, so kind of in a related to that story uh, was a featured guest or a featured um, element of that story was Tulsa. So kind of tell me a little bit about your experience as a Tulsan uh, throughout your life. So I'm going to take you way back long before you were uh, in, in Tulsa, but so always living here, it's been interesting to watch what's happened. And um, I've had a front row seat to, you know, back in the day, I remember being Evan in Orlando, went, went to the Disney World with my parents and we were at an IHOP and somebody heard we were from Oklahoma and, said, and, and literally asked us if we lived in a teepee. Yeah. And I was like, What? So I just remember the trauma of that with for my parents or, you know, the whole conversation, uh, you know, born and raised Cherokee as well. And so like there was just that, you know, that kind of stigma when I was younger that now still exists. I've actually heard people tell stories that people literally still ask, you know, um, some of those questions. So, so from that, I can't believe TV is going to make it into this podcast, but from that to kind of, you know, before the highway system we had, it was just such a small um, community. And I'm going to use that term because I feel like we still are. And somehow with this explosive growth, and I love the organization you work for. I love all the work the chamber's been doing. I love, you know, all of the very thoughtful people that are trying to, you know, create a different community for us in a way that takes us kind of the next level. So it's been super exciting to watch that. I've had a front row seat to that, as you know, with a lot of the teams that are responsible for a lot of that technology stuff that you're talking about. But but now, as I travel the world, what I'm hearing people say, wow, there's something special going on in Tulsa. What, you know, what is it about Tulsa 
as we're on the you know front page of the New York Times. That uh, you know, there's been so much in the last several years. So I'm just super proud of that. Um, I went from kind of thinking, oh, I don't, you know, I'm going to stand up and say I'm from Oklahoma, and there's a bias that's going to come from with that, which I'm sure there still is in some circle. But I also get the benefit of now the bias of wow, there's something super special going on there. And I I talked to somebody the other day from New York, and she said, "What is happening?" Because it's been described as being a magical place, and I said, "I really believe it is. I think there there are little pockets, and you've experienced this, Evan, where you you know these very thoughtful um, you know people that are advocates and that are really trying to make." Our community better, and uh, it's just inspiring. So that's that's kind of the short, the shortest version I can give you of my journey living here. So super excited. No, I love it. That's awesome. I I think that on your first point, I, I will attest to you that I went to at my undergrad, which was not too long ago. There were people asking me where Oklahoma was. Do did I ride a horse to school? Did I live in a teepee? Like those questions still still exist and. It's so funny. I mean, I was in New Hampshire and people really have no idea where Oklahoma is, like calling it a flyover state. And it like personally offended me because I'm like, that's my home. <laughs> well, I always say, well, keep flying over because if that's how you feel about it, we don't want <laughs> Exactly. Just keep exactly. No, that's that's so right. And I, and I think um, I, I just I really li- like to. um kind of focus on Tulsa and like the here and now. And I think it is interesting that we talk about the now and kind of the way that we do, because it does feel, it feels different, I think. And I think, I think that it feels different for a lot of people and not necessarily as many people, um, like people didn't feel as welcome a couple of years ago, even a decade ago. And I, I think that that's from the progress that's from people uh, coming to Tulsa and wanting to change, change it or Tulsans wanting to change it for the better themselves and, and feeling empowered to do so, which is really awesome. Well, I thought uh, I would not be able to live in Oklahoma as a gay woman. I thought, well, I'm going to have to go to the, to the left coast or the right coast. I, you know, I thought I'd you know, be in the middle. Um, and I'm going to say early on, that was probably true that I, you know, and, and for two reasons. One is I was just a big chicken and I was not willing to be out. That's the truth. Um, so there's that piece of it. So for me, you know, being part of a community that did not embrace who I was fully and authentically created a lot of issues for me around, you know, how do you be authentic if you can't answer the question, what did you do for the weekend? Because you're talking about your girlfriend. And so to, to now live in Tulsa where I not only talk about my wife, but I, you know, everybody knows and it's okay. And we even chaired um, the Toyland Ball a few years ago for the Parent Child Center. And I'm going to say that was that I just I wept when we were even invited to do that because I thought, oh, my gosh, it's, we've come a long way as a community. And so, you know, I'm not saying there's not pockets, but there are pockets everywhere. It doesn't matter what city people live in. There are the, the division that our company is, or, or our country is experiencing for sure exist but there's just so there's pockets of safety everywhere and the fact that i live in this amazing you know area now that is in the city that i love so much that i want to live here for lots of reasons but it's been that's been the greatest kind of surprise you know yeah. i didn't think i'd still be here so yeah and and our queer experiences are so valid because i, I mean 
it's so, I think that a lot of queer experiences are so different because they all start at, at, at home, like where you're, where you're born, who's raising you. Um, and then it unfortunately has no choice but to permeate into your social and personal life outside of the home. And so it truly is at the core of your, of who you are. And like you're saying, living authentically. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be back in Tulsa if I didn't feel like I was living authentically myself. I mean, for God's sakes, I have, I have nails right now. Like I am out being gay in public and I love it. That's a part of why Tulsa is welcoming to me right now. And I, and I need that in every place that I go. Listen, I, that makes me so happy to hear you say that. Um, because it's my experience. And, you, you know, I think, is it because I have such a nice network of people that finally kind of know who I am and then it's okay. But what you're saying is to be accepted without anybody knowing who you are because it is more acceptable. Um, it makes me so happy and proud of our city for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think that more on the queer experience is that everything, every question that I'm about to ask you could have an, a, a lens in which you answer it through your queer experience too, okay. which I think makes us such interesting and awesome people because we have so many ways to answer and approach a question because we have <laughs> thought about it in every wraparound way, or at least that's how I feel as a queer person. <laughs> no, it's true. There's the, there is the very, uh, there, there are some answers. I, I still censor myself. There are, you know, in some situations I know where that line is and you know, I would like to say, I said, I started this by saying I'm a chicken. I'm still a little bit of a chicken uh, because I'm running a business and, you know, I mean, there's an aspect to that. Then there's the other part of me that's like, well, listen, you know, if, if that's not okay, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to be part of this, but you know, I, we also have, I have a business partner and, you know, that that's incredibly supported by the way. Um, and, and is one of the reasons I finally came out in my corporate job because He's the one that said, you know, uh, I said, there's some people or pockets in our organization that aren't accepting. And his comment was, well, who are they? So I don't like them anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was like the first time I had an ally in corporate America. And so what do you do with a, an ally? You become his business partner, man. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it takes one person sometimes for you to feel like a conversation could be had or, or some some something can change you need one person on your side um i love that you're kind of teeing up this next question of owning and operating a business in tulsa so kind of tell me how has it been owning and operating a business in tulsa what has your journey been like with exceptional leaders lab over the past seven years listen i i could not be more um grateful for how the community has accepted our our company and so um I mean, like, I don't even know how to give you enough superlatives to talk about how great the business community has been, how much it has embraced us. Um, and I'll say that, you know, what I love about our community is there's, there is this collective sense that we can always do better and we can always be better, right? I, and, you know, that is the sweet spot for our organization. So we're a leadership training company. We spend a lot of time, um, you know, trying to talk about how to create high-performing teams and organizations. And so there's been a real appetite for this community to embrace that. And uh, it's been, uh, and, you know, Wally lives in, in Norfolk, Virginia. And so early on, we were like, which city should we spend most of our time and resources on? 
So he's, you know, over on the East Coast and and now we have quite a presence there as well. But initially it was Tulsa that embraced our our organization. We did our first kind of, you know, training where we were inviting people to come. We thought maybe 20 people would show up. We sold out at 75 and that was because the room was, you know, wasn't big enough. And so we sat here in our office and we're like, okay, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe this has legs here in Tulsa because Evan, the joke for a consultant like I am is that the definition (laughs) of an expert is somebody from out of town. And so oftentimes you don't have that same experience in your own hometown that you, you know, you, you know, you could be a big deal in Chicago, right. And, but yet in your own hometown, people are just, well, that's just Tracy. She's always been here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They outsource that, that work instead of uh, trying to, or instead of relying on something local, which you've, you've established yourself as a local, almost paragon in in this space, which is awesome. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you the other piece that, and my wife gets all the credit for this, um, the philanthropy in this, in this, or in this city. Um, I early on, started, you know, volunteering at Iron Gate was my first kind of introduction into the nonprofit world. And, you know, I did that out of, uh, you know, well, a big breakup, if I'm honest, <laughs> like I've got to, I need to put feeling sorry for myself. I need to go start and try to help other people. So that was many, many years ago. And then I end up with Rosemary who, you know, like her mission and life's purpose is serving on boards, helping nonprofit nonprofits. And so, you know, when you go to a lot of those, you know, galas and some of the different organizational fundraisers, and you just see everybody that goes to those, right? Like there's not anyone, well, it's not, that's probably not true. There are a few people that are running really successful organizations that don't show up to give back to this community. And I think that's been um, also one of the big surprises for me, watching how many people are, you know, whether it's money or time or, you know, expertise, you know, what people are doing to try to make our community better. So that's been super uh, inspiring for me, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I totally voice that similar um, sentiment, especially about giving back, because I recently went to the Equality Gala, which is something that I've been, uh, I got to go as a high schooler. So I was kind of on this like, interesting perspective of being someone that was invited there obviously we didn't pay for a ticket um but we got to see kind of the city uh show how much they cared about queer people as a high schooler which was amazing um and then kind of recently when i went too it was just as meaningful to me to see all of the work that's continuing to be done i mean um we, we don't have to dive too much into politics but i i will say that there are some things that are are still threat like we would be remiss to act like LGBT people have all the rights and all of the, all of the things that, you know, we were guaranteed in this country. Um, we would be remiss to say that we have that. And so, so there's still some challenges and it's, it's really cool to know that there's people in this town that are working towards solutions and are working together and bringing people in. Um, I, I definitely felt left that event with a lot of hope. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to give you another hopeful story. So it's been it's been a few years back. Meredith Baxter uh, used to be Meredith Baxter Bernie, but Meredith Baxter, um, we, you know, she was one of the speakers at one of the equality galas. It's been a few years back, and we're sitting at the table. And at some point, she leans over and says, 
I cannot believe that I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there are a thousand people at this equality gala. Like she was so blown away. And I, it was after she had come out uh, with her wife, Nancy, and she's, she said, you know, uh, I've never felt more hopeful than I feel right now in this moment. Uh, and so I thought that was, I always hold on to that because she's somebody that speaks all over. And, you know, she's in a lot of, you know, a lot of those galas uh, for sure where 80 people are showing up. And so anyway, just watching her be so blown away. And for me, kind of not taking that for granted, but not knowing that's not, you know, I I guess that's not how it is in every city. But we were at the time the fifth largest equality center in the United States. I'm not sure. I'm sure we're. We're still up there, like like one of the one of the first or second, honestly, which is really we've been having uh, drag race viewing parties at the Equality Center and kind of being in that space has been (laughs) like really cool, like just interacting with the space and seeing it as a service point for the community is is just really awesome. (laughs) I know you don't don't take it for granted. I love that you're experiencing all that. I love that. Yeah. So kind of um, in a we're going to take a little bit of a different direction here, mostly to talk about kind of the importance of your work and kind of how you serve your clients. Um, and I, and I'm, we've already kind of seen this, but I, and I'm sure you have so many stories and experiences with different organizations over your career, but what do you think was the most meaningful experience that you've had with a client or group of clients um, through uh, either Exceptional Leaders Lab or through your previous work? Oh gosh, that would be so hard. Uh... So I'm going to give you the the quick answer and then I'm going to, the quick answer is anytime somebody walks out of a meeting or away from the experience and they go do something differently or they are better because of the material, that is, that is the pinnacle for me. And it doesn't matter if it's five people, Evan, or if it's 5,000 people in the audience. If somebody says, I heard that and I went I, I took that information. I did something with it, and my, you know, my my leadership is is better, or my team dynamics are better. So, so that's the the quick answer. You know, is really anytime somebody's been influenced in a way that makes them better. I will also tell you some of my, you know, like being in front of teachers and educators and other, you know, people that are doing the same thing I'm trying to do. I, you know, I think I always had this desire to be a teacher, which is what I feel like I am in the role that I'm in. Um, those are always really meaningful. Uh, but yet also, you know, T.D. Williamson's a client of mine here in town and, you know, working with, you know, some of the guys on the line that are, you know, putting together pipeline supply, you know, Felix and Ted and their team out there, uh, uh, that is as rewarding as it gets as well. So. It kind of, you know, there's not a prototype. There's not one experience that I covet over the others. It's anybody, anytime that someone goes, wow, I needed to hear that. Or yes, I can see that differently. And that's where I learn the most as well uh, when I'm out there, right? So I'm, I'm always learning every time in tweaking our material and making it better based on the audience. So those are those are good moments as well. That's awesome. No, it's, it's so good to hear um, kind of, I guess the your experience as a learner as well as a teacher almost at the same time because I feel like um, we I've been interacting with you for almost two years now just within our organization and every time we have a Tracy session I'm like I get the brain tinglies I've talked about this on the podcast before but uh, the brain tinglies are like when 
you're receiving information that you know is super applicable to you and you're trying to just focus in on it as much as you can. And it literally makes my brain tingle. Like, I love it. Um, Well, listen, (laughs) listen, I want to say this, your team, I didn't want to be cheesy and go, well, I love your team, but, and (laughs) I'm going to say, like, the nice thing about your team is when I walk into that room, I don't have to work to build the energy to, to get people to receive the material, which is so amazing to walk in and everyone's already sitting on go. So, you know, the fact that that happens, it's like I can walk in, plug in and walk out and feel like we, you know, we don't miss a beat. Um, yeah, we accomplished you know, something. <laughs> yeah, you're, well, your whole organ, I, I know why you love your team. That's how your team is wired. They're wired to look for how we can be better. Uh, nobody's playing the victim and, you know, oh, we can't do this. Like it's, you, you're yeah. in a really good place. Accountability, I think, is something that we talk about a lot with our, with our Tracy sessions. And um, I think that it's such a good conversation to have in a workplace. I mean, um, like, I'll use an example today. Like this morning, I had like sent a request for like a budget or something. And I hadn't checked with my supervisor. And the we knew that the process was that I should check with my supervisor. And so I just, I was like, that's on me. I'll take it. I, I know that that's something that I need to do. And I know that I might've messed up, but things are fine. Nothing's on fire. I'm owning up to my thing. I'm taking the monkey. I think that's also something we've gotten from you as the monkey conversation, which is cool. But it's just, it, it, I no longer feel like I have to hold that with me that taking accountability helps me put put it away, if that makes Listen, sense. That makes perfect sense. And I have written on my board, uh, the most selfish thing you can ever do is see yourself as a victim. And so when a person starts thinking about this is happening to me, instead of I had a role in this, I play a part in this. I love the person that's like, oh yeah, I missed that. It's over, right? The conversation's over. Like The weirdness comes when someone goes, I miss that, but if you would have now, we're in. <laughs> that, that's now the, we're back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is just maddening, maddening. Yeah. So, sim, in a similar in a similar vein, from my experience of working with you, I feel like one of the more implicit outcomes of working with Exceptional Leaders Lab is that you help your clients shape and define their company cultures. Is that something that? you all intended to do as an organization or is it something that, like I said, kind of is an implicit impact of your work? Uh, I would say it's the North star for what we do, right? I, I believe that creating an environment, uh, you know, the high performing team piece is not just that we are producing a, a lot, which that's a piece of it. But to me and where our work has taken us in the DEI space has been, and People feel like they belong, right? So it's not 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 even just inclusive. It is that next level of not only am I valued, but I feel that this is where I'm supposed to be, right? So there there is a disconnect. So you know, diversity. We all look you know a little bit differently. We all have different orientations. You know, inclusion. What I do, you know, people value that. But the belonging piece is so. I think that's where the good stuff is, right? That's where you get to that point where people are saying, um, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Instead of people saying, I wonder what else is out there, right? I wonder what else 
you know, I, I could, you know, be, be looking for. And so, yes, the culture drives everything and it is what defines a high performing team. It's what, what defines an organization and all, everything we do is to get to that point where people are more mindful of curating that. I think what I really like about what, what you just said and kind of why culture is important is because I think that the word culture, um, a company culture is interesting. It, 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 it truly is the, the, I think the word is like the means of engagement or the method of engagement is, is kind of how a culture helps shape the interactions between teammates and culture is so hard to nail because so pe- people are so different. And the way that I might interact with a, a conflict, a, a work project or something today is different from yesterday. But what keeps it the same is the fact that when I'm at work, I have a, a company culture in mind, if that makes sense. It's, it's way implicit. It's, it's not necessarily that's at the forefront of my mind. But I know that when I act with, interact with a coworker, I'm supposed, I should be treating them with the respect that they deserve type of thing. Not because I'm at work, but because I'm a I'm a person and I would want that. <laughs> it's like you get to put your per, your your self before the company when you actually t- care about the culture. Sometimes, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we did that everywhere we went? Right, we thought about the other person first, and and I'll tell you, you know, as you know, for the first twenty years in the company that I used to be in, the culture was very conservative. The culture was very, um, I mean, it was my family in a lot of ways. I was all in, but the, but it was not very forgiving. And by that, I mean, I, well, I'll just tell you a quick story. What, like one time I went out to do a meeting, I took a girlfriend. Um, I got on the plane, came home. I had a message when I landed that said, Hey, I just want you to know they are, uh, you know, they had a prayer group for you after you left. They think that that was a girl, your girlfriend. And they're, re- you know, and this person was warning me as if I were a straight person. And she was like, you just need to know when you bring a friend. And I, I called her back and I was like, okay, listen, I am like, I'm a lesbian like that. <laughs> like, and the allegations are true. <laughs> So listen, this is, this is, and this is when Wally kind of becomes a pivotal part of this, that person in the organization that I was doing a training for, there were, I don't know how many hundreds of people were in the, in the audience in my own company said they would not have me back again because of that. And so for the culture that I was in, I was highly valued until they found out that one little piece of information. I'd been with the company 20 years, Evan. And so I had played the game. I had I had laughed at the gay jokes. I had been, as I said, a chicken. I had not brought my personal life into it. I was reared to believe, you know, you check all that shit at the door. You just bring, you know, like, you know, doesn't none of that matters. What matters is you come in and do your job. And I bought into that. And so in that moment when Wally says, you know, how come you're not doing any training? And I say, well, you know, this is what happened. And then when he says, who are they? So I won't like them anymore. I don't know. There was just a moment where I was like, what am I doing? Oh my gosh, I'm perpetuating this um, idea that it's okay to treat people like that. But it was my own doing. And the awakening, if you will, for our community, the gay community, 
that has happened over the last, you know, 10 years in particular, 10, 15 years. Um, you know, I, I feel a little bit, I feel badly that I didn't have my awakening sooner, that I was not more of an advocate. But I sit here with you today and say, I'm so grateful for all the people that were brave. I'm so grateful for all the people that were willing to fight that fight. And now it is my obligation to fight it as well, right? To, to be able to say, listen, you know, we aren't checking our shit at the door anymore. We're bringing it all in. And we're going to set it Yeah, it's coming place. in with us. That's right. <laughs> and we're, we're going to put our pictures out and we're going to talk about it. And that's what I love, though. I'm going to go back to your first question about Tulsa that I feel I can do that, right? There's never a moment where I walk into a room in the city of Tulsa and I feel that I cannot introduce my wife or I cannot answer the questions authentically. The fact that our community has come that far, oh man, that's like the best thing I can tell you about Tulsa. Yeah, I I, I love that. I, I, feel, I feel very similarly. And I, I kind of want to go back to that, the phrase, um, you mentioned kind of about playing the game i love i love dissecting that because if i think about it and kind of how i how i think about it is that we weren't even designed to play this game (laughs) as as queer people if you think about it um the game wasn't designed with us in mind and i think that that extends also to people to people of color that also feel marginalized in a work community um or or maybe a work culture that might be damaging um to because because it wasn't designed for them and and that's where i I feel like um, truly what working with you at Exceptional Exceptional Leaders Lab and kind of also the amazing people on our team, we get to say, yeah, you're in this game. (laughs) You're the big player. You're actually like, this is yours. Like, it's not, it's no longer like, it it doesn't feel as isolating, um, which is, which is game changing. It's game changing for productivity. It's game changing for, you know, personal validation. I mean, I I don't want to work for an organization that doesn't accept my queerness, and I I think that that's a standard I'm going to take with me until I am done working, I, and that's a privilege to to even have that outlook because you know twenty thirty years ago maybe even ten years ago maybe even five years ago there are people that would say I cannot have a productive life I cannot have the the dollar amount that I want to see every year if I. I live outwardly as a gay person. And I don't know, it's just, I know we're talking, we're making this a lot about queerness, but I think it is such an important element of kind of culture and and acceptance and really just, uh, it's just good stuff to really be talking about, I feel like. (laughs) I I love your enthusiasm. I didn't know the direction this was going to take. I love though that we can go in this direction. I do a lot of podcasts that, uh, you know, we're going to, we're not going to talk about this. And so, I don't think you can talk about how vibrant our city is or the great work that both of us are doing in our respective organizations without that, you know, belonging, inclusive piece that I would say is now defining our community. And, you know, the the fact that there are still communities that people are not this open, Evan, right? There are, there are cities, bigger cities too, that you know, perhaps people are still living in a pocket of um, repression. And, you know, that makes me super sad. So I think that's the magic that people talk about that's going on here. I really do. Yeah. And one one other thing I wanted to kind of touch on, maybe hear your thoughts on too, is like in, especially our space of like helping people get jobs, um, something that we kind of hear from hiring managers 
just not necessarily, I, I think this is something that gets thrown around the industry a lot is um, some candidates do not get jobs at places because of the lack of culture fit or a culture fit is the reason that that candidate is not um, moved along in their process. And so I think that that's really interesting. And maybe you might have some perspective on this too, but like, how does a company, how do you get to know a company's culture without working there? And and what what is a candidate supposed to do to meet that requirement of, of a culture fit that, of an organization they want to work out? What a great question. So there's a, I'm going to give you a couple of random answers that are going to tie together at the end. You know, one is that's why mission statements, values, uh, core values, those are all the outward facing things that organizations should be spending a lot of time on. They need to be more mindful about that. Um, you know, e- even you can tell on websites, what are some of the pictures that are on the websites? What are some of the communities um, that they are, you know, um, living in and contributing to? Is there any philanthropic uh, work that you can tell from the website? Like, so I think that those very instructional things are, you can tell a lot. You should be able to tell a lot from that website. Look at the board of directors. Is it a diverse board of directors? Looking at, you know, who do they spotlight? So, so there's that. There's also, you know, the the other piece, which is to talk to people that are in the organization. If at all, you if you can do that, sometimes that's not always easy. But you can tell a lot being on site. You know, virtually it's a little bit more difficult. But I would also say that virtually it's a little bit easier to be uh, out of the norm, if you will, whatever that means. Um, you don't, you don't see some of the, you know, the normal kind of, you know, happenings as you do when you walk into a boardroom. So there's, there's some of that, but I would also say this, I think the organizations that allow leaders to operate from a bias that allow and watch leaders hire people over and over that are just like them, that have that affinity bias, that bring in people and they don't search to try to create more diversity in their hires. There's, there's a lid that happens for that organization. There's a, there's a moment where the profitability suffers, the culture suffers. Um, there, there's definitely a lag effect on that. And I think we're seeing that now. 10 years ago, we didn't see that. We would, you and I would sit here and say, well, it's just the right thing to do to bring more diverse. Oh, guess what? It's also the profitable thing to do. When you have all of those different perspectives coming together, you're going to have a better outcome than when you just bring like-minded people in. So those blind spots that organizations have had because their cultures have been created with well-intentioned people that say, oh, I have a good gut feeling when I bring people in. No, you don't. You have a biased gut feeling and you're probably bringing in good people, but who are you omitting? Who are you not bringing in? Because you didn't have that same familiarity. And when an organization can build into their hiring process, how can we eliminate that risk and that bias from the people that are bringing people in the organizations? That's been, and and I've watched a lot of very thoughtful organizations here in our community do that and, and literally all over the world to say, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't have pictures and maybe we shouldn't have the actual name and the school people went to. Maybe we should remove all of those highly biased data points and really get to know the candidate better. Um, you're just going to have a better outcome. So that's probably when you asked me about culture, I have been in organizations where I've watched leaders get rid of people that disagreed with them. 
I've watched leaders make sure that everybody around the table, um, you know, were fierce advocates of the leader. And we all know that is a, there's a shelf life to that leader, right? The leader that's like, and I think Meg, you, Meg does this so well. She's like, disagree with me. Do it. Say whatever you want to say. I'm not going to get my big feelings in it. I'm just going to go. Yeah. Well, gosh, I think you're right. The leader that can do that and bring all the synthesize all of these opinions and synthesize all the experiences. Um, there's no way you're not going to have not only a better product, but a better culture uh, and, and the benefit of that. Right. Yeah. I know. I think, I think that was, that was beautifully stated, honestly. Um, and I, it's, it's so hard, I think, um, as a candidate, maybe to, to really get a good sense of that, like I said, until you work there. But I think you gave us some really good options for, I, I hate to tell people to do your own research, but this is a part of the process. I mean, it, it, it is that research is going to benefit you because you're going to potentially land at an organization where you don't have to question uh, the, the, the mission, the core, the values, because you, you put in that work and it, it will feel, it will feel right. Hopefully you will feel, um, hopefully like, you know, God willing that, um, this organization is who they say they are. And then you get to be a part of that change of upholding it too. You get to be the accountability. Um, that's something that I feel like I, I just have felt really empowered to do at in Tulsa. And that's because people have allowed me to do this, but I get to enforce the company culture because of the way that I treat people and the way that I, I demonstrate my interpretation of the company culture every day <laughs> and in my interactions with not only my coworkers, but also with um, the, the community outside of our organization. And that's, that's huge to me. And, and the fact that nobody's slapping my wrist is exactly what I need. <laughs> Well, listen, you've, so you all did not experience the great resignation like a lot of organizations did. And so we could, you and I could debate what, what was that really all about? And I'm going to say culture played a huge part in the great resignation. Pandemic, all, yes, we can agree we can live on less money or we can agree that I could get paid more money to go somewhere else. But the cultures where people felt that they belonged, like where you are, the cultures where you know, people felt like they were making a difference. You can't write a check that could or pay somebody what they're worth. It's not even possible, no matter who they are. And so to think that you can monetize a culture in a way and people can value that over exactly what you described. Nope, I'm creating my culture. I'm part of this. You know, that that is what people want. And I think a lot of people that left thought, oh, well, I'm in a great culture. And I'll get that wherever I go and they're trying to come back or I'm in a shitty culture and I want to go find a better culture yeah. and more money right now. I, you know, I think that I think the people that are coming back left and the money was, I mean, because almost everybody left for more money just for whatever, you know, let's agree on that. Yeah. And the fact that the, you know, the, I want to come back means really only one thing. It was never about money. It was about you know, I thought that I could, you know, maybe have a bigger role, make a little bit more money. I'd be happy. Oh, guess what? I really wanted to be valued more than I wanted to make money, right? Being valued. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, Tracy, this has been amazing. Tell us uh, and our Grow With Us listeners, what is the future of Exceptional Leaders Lab? How do you all plan to grow in the next couple of years? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh we're going to, we are growing by 
taking on, we're doing a lot more online courses. So we offer, as people have been listening, we do a lot of leadership training where we're standing on stage or we're walking into organizations. So we're trying to create a little bit more of an online presence so that we can reach more people. That's We're spending a lot of time uh, and energy on that. We partnered with GitWit, as you uh, all are familiar with them, uh, to try to help us with that platform. So that's a big part of it. We're getting on some bigger stages and uh, you know, that, that's been kind of fun. Uh, we, are, we bring a few trainers in when we need those, when some of the business is growing. And we've got a couple of books uh, that are yet to be written. So working on some of those uh, as well. That's amazing. I, you know that you have the biggest supporters in the world at Pulse. I hope. <laughs> so grateful. I, I listen. It hasn't always been that way. Like, it, and I'm. I am so. When you asked me the last seven years, I'm like, oh my gosh, the the fact that I feel that I appreciate that. I sent it right back to you, as Ellen would say. Um, the <laughs> idea that you know that we can all cheer each other on. I, I do feel. And then you ask me, what's my title? I'm like, I'm head cheerleader. Like I'm cheering on, you know, individuals and I'm certainly cheering on our community, uh, you know, to play bigger than what we've been playing um, in the past. And boy, it sure is fun to watch. And it's paying off. I mean, sure. I, I feel like it is. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's really meaningful. I, I get on here every time you have an episode and talk about how grateful I am. So I will. I'll keep it brief on that, but I, I really do uh, just want to say thank you so much for your time here. Um, I think we've had really great conversations and um, really honest and candid. And I think that this is why I love podcasting because it allows me to to kind of, I didn't know if I woke up this morning thinking I was going to be talking about this. And then I did, and now I feel so much better. So I love <laughs> me it. <either. laughs> me either. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, letting me be part of it. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tracy. Uh, for our listeners who grow with us, I'd like to plug a few resources that might be helpful for you. If you would like to stay in touch with all of our featured jobs and opportunities at Intulsa, then please join our talent network. You can join at talent.intulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. By joining our talent network, you will get access to our newsletter where you can stay up to date with our latest career advice, featured opportunities with Intulsa partner companies, and our placement success stories. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Growth Plus are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. Huge thank you to our editors at Rant 9 Productions and Jesse Holder. This has been Growth Plus.